few weeks ago, I was reading a book called Empowered. Cool, fun side note is it's written by a couple pastors in the local area, Todd Proctor, Josh Harrison, and our boy Chris Vinand is a contributor to that. But Todd Proctor starts the book with this quote from A.W. Tozer, which wrecked me. Like, I literally had to put my, my, my book down and take a deep breath and consider my life. And A.W. Tozer says this. It's on the screen. It beat me to it. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit, though, had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. And this seriously made me consider my life. Like, God, if I didn't have you in my life, what would it look like? And what would my marriage look like? And what would my relationships look like? God, if I didn't have you in my life, what would Genesis look like? What would this, what, like, if the Spirit of God had not filled this church, would business just roll on as usual at Genesis Costa Mesa, or would we become utterly helpless and utterly useless because everything we had built had only been possible by the power of the Holy Spirit? And so in a very non-threatening way, way, I felt like I needed to consider this for my life. I felt like this was something I needed to hear because I think we all recognize, like I doubt anybody in here would disagree with me that we live in such a fast-paced culture that is kind of so me-centered that it's already hard enough to just stay aware of God from moment to moment. There he is. You could probably just mute the computer. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, but it's already hard to stay aware of God from moment to moment, right? And I think we all risk, like, Looking back at our lives, at least me, I can look and see there are things in my life that are standing and would be thriving if the Holy Spirit had not built them. Like, if I did not have the Holy Spirit in my life. And that's just frightening to me. Because it shows me that I actually believe that sometimes I'm just alone in this huge universe. And that anything that really needs to happen, anything that's actually going to get done, is up to me and my power. And it shows me that I actually believe that sometimes I can kind of get stuff done quicker or better or more accurately by myself and with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I, in a very non-condemning way, I just, I can't imagine I'm the only one here who would probably recognize something like that in my life somewhere. And so today, I want to invite you as we process through what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. I want you to consider, this is like for the rest of the time we're together, to really be considering how your life looks different because the Holy Spirit is in you. What about your life is only possible because the Holy Spirit has given you the power to do it? And similarly, and honestly, some of you may be like, well, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know like, if I have opened myself up to receive the Holy Spirit. When I look at my life, I think I would like for it to look like I'm doing a lot of really like big, impossible things, but that's just not the reality right now. And I would just say good news, that the Holy Spirit wants to fill you. 
He wants to fill you and lead you in a life that is utterly impossible in your own strength for the sake of his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, I think tonight can be that night. I want you to continue processing this as we just journey through this conversation. Lord, is there evidence of your Holy Spirit empowering me beyond my own strength for your kingdom come? Does, any, does anybody want that? Yeah. I guess that's just like an assumption I put on this church. But I know most of you, and you're all pretty rad people, and I want it in my life. So uh, let's do it. I was at a conference in Kentucky this week. I'm from Kentucky. My southern accent comes out a little bit more when I'm home. And there's something glorious about doing ministry with a bunch of people with southern accents. It sounds just more anointed. <laughs> Holy Spirit, he is here to anoint the brokenhearted. And it was awesome. Um, but all that to say, there were two stories. I have three, but I don't have time. There's two stories from that week that I, I just want to share with you as we prepare our hearts to hear what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Now, the first, I have a video for you. Brandon, you can play it. This is the site of the 1799 Cane Ridge Revival. So they built this big stone building over the oldest standing log structure in, in America. And this housed the 1799 uh, Cane Ridge Revival. Before this, it was estimated only 5 to 10% of Americans had any sort of affiliation with the church or would call themselves Christians. After this, Christianity spread like wildfire through America. Much of the reason that you and I are sitting in this church today is because of what happened right there at Cane Ridge in 1799. Now here's what blows me away about that story, if that didn't already. The guy who was kind of the leader of it, his name was Barton Warren Stone. He was 27 years old when it happened. I'm 27 years old. <laughs> And this man led a revival. Yeah, I've done a lot with my life, huh? Uh, <laughs> this man led a revival that literally spread like wildfire through America. We are sitting here today because of it, all because he was just obedient and just stepped outside of his comfort zone to embrace the Holy Spirit. It is a wonderful story. It was amazing being there. The second is my friend Maddie. And she's rad. I wish you would get to know her in September. They'll actually be here. And in college, she felt called to start a through-the-night prayer meeting, which would make us all look weak. And uh, through this time of just praying overnight, she got, she's just like, the Lord gave her such a big heart for college communities, for college students. And so she spent years just ministering onto college campuses. And through this time, she met her husband, and they just felt like they needed to go take that and what was going on in those college campuses and go plant the church. It was a beautiful thing. However, uh, they were poor. They weren't really a part of any sort of church planting network. And so they just asked God, like, if we're going to do this, how are you going to provide for us? How are you going to make this possible? Now, at the time, she was kind of a freelance, like, hairstylist for women on their wedding day. And so she just kept doing it and kept doing it. And they're just praying, Lord, where is your provision? What are you going to do? In, like, a short span of time, he set her business on fire in the best way. She went from her doing it freelance to 14 employees, and now they do over 300 weddings a year, 14 every Saturday, and she is making bacon and bankrolling this whole church. It is a beautiful story, but it, is, it was so beyond her and just 
her little mission, but it was her faithfulness to God in the marketplace that just blessed her calling and what's on her in Austin's life. It is just such a beautiful story of somebody doing something in the kingdom so far beyond their own reach. And I just think these are really beautiful stories to start preparing our hearts. And even now, I want you to think of like what I asked earlier. What am I doing in my life that is only possible without God? With God. Um, I recognize also that the, the conversation around the Holy Spirit can be very touchy for a lot of us. It's a very loaded conversation. Myself personally, I grew up in a church that I, I seriously think I heard Holy Spirit twice. I'll emphasize that I love my church, but the two times I heard it were my senior year of high school. It took that long. Someone got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I thought that was a Catholic thing. And then the second time, I'm going to really embarrass myself with this one. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Pre-gathering prayer, uh, I was about to lead worship in youth group my senior year, and I prayed as if informing God about something. God, there are churches not far from here who speak in tongues and handle snakes. Thank you that we're not one of them. <laughs> like, I just thought that's what the Holy Spirit was about. And I don't even know where I got the snake thing. <laughs> but that's what I thought the Holy Spirit was about. And so then I do a, like, 180-degree turn, and I come to school at Vanguard, where I was literally waiting for them to pull out the snakes at any moment. It got a little bit weird and a little bit crazy sometimes. But it was quite fun, too. It really changed my life. So I recognize that this can be a loaded conversation because all of us come from different backgrounds. Some of you grew up in churches that just, like, really stewarded a culture of the presence of the Holy Spirit well and beautifully and in a human way. Others of you grew up in a very damaging culture around the Holy Spirit. And then some, like me, it was just kind of neutral. It was like, oh, yeah, Holy Spirit, sure, I like it. But our goal during this series is to kind of relay a foundation of our understanding of the Holy Spirit so that when he's with us and when we're aware of him, our response would be, Holy Spirit, it is good that you're here. It is good that you're here and that our prayers just find ourselves praying, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Because I do believe that the Holy Spirit right now is the safest presence in this room. He is the safest presence in this room. He is not the culture that has surrounded him at times. And for you, that may have actually been a very damaging culture, and it's really made you question if you can trust God or the church. And I just want to begin by saying, I'm sorry. That is not the Holy Spirit. He is the safest presence in this room, but we'll get to more of that later. So I spent probably too much time setting this up, but I want to get into what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. When, when he's speaking to his followers about the Holy Spirit, what is he saying? Now, before I get all the way in there, I want to just kind of remind us of where we've been in this series and where we've been in the narrative of the Bible, all right? So what I want to do is just trace the story of the Holy Spirit in three minutes through the Old Testament into the Gospels. I got a slide for you. There you go. Here we are. So, first time we see the Holy Spirit in the Bible is the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. 
And he's, he's hovering over the waters and he's bringing order to creation. He's, he's taking the chaos and the waste of earth and he's making it suitable for living, like for life to flourish in it. And as he's over the earth, he, he's kind of depicted as this ruler who in wisdom and skill and creativity is creating a place for man and God to dwell together. It's in this moment of Genesis 1 where we see heaven and earth exist as one reality together and where God and man exist together. And so what's really cool is, is any time from now on in the Bible that we see the Holy Spirit, like we should always be thinking back to Genesis 1. In fact, I'm going to call this framework Genesis 1 stuff, right? It's, it's when, when we see the Holy Spirit, we automatically think back to the Garden of Eden where God and man and heaven and earth existed as one reality. That is Genesis 1 stuff. The next one is Joseph in Genesis 41, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes on him and empowers him to interpret dreams. And particularly in Genesis 41, he's interpreting Pharaoh's dreams when, when famine is about to hit the land. And he, he says, you know, here's what's going to happen. Famine's going to come. We're going to run out of food. And Pharaoh's like, whoa, I can tell the Spirit of the Lord is on you. And so he actually raises it up to be like his right-hand man in all of Egypt. And he is the guy that is, is meant to set aside food for seven years before the famine comes to make sure that Egypt and all the surrounding nations have enough food when it comes. It's this beautiful picture of like what it looks like to bring order to chaos, just like in Genesis 1. When the great nations of the world share their abundance and wealth with all the nations. When the great nations of the world care for the least to the greatest, and when everybody takes just enough so everybody has enough. Like, this is Genesis 1 kind of stuff. Of course, we see Moses filled with the Holy Spirit to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, and at least toward the Promised Land. He didn't take them in, but almost in. That was Joshua's job. Um, but he takes, and so when he takes them out of Egypt, Egypt is meant to represent this kind of disordered creation. It's when oppression and, and human slavery has become the reality rather than God and man dwelling together. And so what Moses does is he actually, by the power of God's spirit, takes the slaves out of Egypt and leads them to the promised land that itself is supposed to represent an Eden-like state. It's, it's explained in, in uh, Torah as the, man or the, the land flowing with milk and honey. It has everything suitable for life to flourish. Again, this is Genesis 1 kind of stuff. Two more. I love Bezalel. He's probably my favorite person in the entire Bible. Obviously, besides Jesus. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes on Bezalel to basically design the tabernacle. Uh, well, the tabernacle, what that was in, in, in ancient Israel, was the place where uh, God and man were thought to dwell together, meet together, just like in Genesis, where God and man dwell together. And so he creates uh, this, this tabernacle, because we, back up one step, we see God create, uh, you know, the earth, and, and uh, let me see, the, he brings order and beauty and life. So that's what Bezalel does here. Is he, he designs this tabernacle in beauty and order and to bring life. It's like Selling Sunset Israelite Edition. But it's Genesis 1 kind of stuff. And then the final one is the prophets. And the Spirit of God empowers the prophets to essentially um, 
you know, we often think of them as like future tellers, but that's really not their main role. Their main role is to call Israelite back to covenant faithfulness with God. And so they had agreed to this covenant. This is what it looks like for God and man to dwell together. Again, Genesis 1 stuff, right? And the prophets are like, you're, you're perverting your justice. You're, you're not caring for the poor, providing, or, you know, caring for the sick or providing for the poor. Let's get back to that kind of stuff where God and man dwell together. And then to the nations, like, hey, this is what godly justice looks like. Come do this and dwell with God. So that's the areas in the Old Testament, and there's plenty more, where we see the Holy Spirit at work in creation. What I want you to notice about this, though, is this. That when the Holy Spirit shows up, he's not just like, yo, I'm here. Look at me. How cool, right? No. When the Holy Spirit comes, he empowers people to do utterly impossible and huge tasks. It's, a, it's beautiful. And so what I wanted to do for you is I wanted to try, in the best of my ability, and it's not a, a, a like, completely comprehensive definition of the role of the Holy Spirit, but I made a slide for you to kind of explain the role of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. That the Holy Spirit comes to empower God's people for life-transforming and creation-ordering work in the world. All throughout the Bible, we see God giving people the power to do things that are utterly impossible without being filled by His Spirit. You know, I mentioned... I was at that conference in Kentucky this week. It was mostly for college students, but there was this group of like old people from all these different colleges who had just given their life to campus ministry. And they're like in their 70s, probably some 80s, reti- like retired out of their job. Some were Old Testament theologians, systematic theologians, doctors, just husbands and wives. And in their 70s, when they're like done, go chill, you've done your life, They are on their face before the Lord, before all these college students, just like, Lord, I need you. I have so much left to do on this earth that I cannot do without Mm. you. It was beautiful. I want us to become those kind of old people one day. Mm -hmm. For Chris Pierce, like, in a couple of years. But for all of us, (laughs) one day, way down the road, right? I talked to another one who just two weeks ago graduated from from, uh, Old Testament, who's an Old Testament theology professor. And I said, what are you going to do now that you're, now that you're uh, retired? Like, what, what's, what's the next couple of years of your life going to look like? And he just said, awakening, revival. And I was like, dude, me too. <laughs> me too. So why did I take all this time to set up what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit? I should really get to that at some point. It's because when he speaks about the Holy Spirit, it's not just some random smattering of good words and good thoughts, but it's with deep intention following the narrative of the Holy Spirit that we've seen throughout the Bible that is always pointing us back to that Genesis 1 kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Good, because I want you to know this. (laughs) Okay, so let's really read uh, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible or if you want to look at the screen, Luke 4. Uh, Luke says at this point that Jesus was working powerfully, or the Spirit was working powerfully in Jesus. And we arrive at this moment where Jesus walks into a synagogue. And he speaks these words announcing his intentions of his arrival, right? And here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Why? Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does among us. And how beautiful is it that Jesus' first words about the Holy Spirit are that he himself is utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit to do what he is meant to do in this world. That's the very first words that Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to bind up the brokenhearted and such a captive free. This is such a powerful passage to me. It's actually from Isaiah 61 that he speaks. And it's so powerful to me because if I had like a mission statement for my life, it would be from this. To set the captive free. That's when I know the Holy Spirit is empowering me beyond my own gifts. Like when I'm leading worship, honestly, just hold me to it. Listen next, next week or whenever I'm leading. I'm always singing songs. They just explode out of me about freedom and redemption. Because the Lord has sent me to set the captive free. When I'm teaching, I love to find, like, I just really think hard about what are those chains that are holding me and this community tight, and then I just go after them to break them. Or when I'm sitting over a coffee with somebody and they're struggling through just a muddy season of life or a relationship or addiction, just words of freedom and redemption and liberation and, and just flow out of my mouth in prayer for them. Because the Lord has sent me to set the captive free. For others of you, like it's to, to comfort those who are mourning, or care for the sick, or bind up the brokenhearted. And those are just a few of the ways that God will use the Holy Spirit in you to do great things. But there are endless ways He can do it. In your workplace, on your campus, in your home, in your family, at church. It's beautiful. Later on in John 13 to 16, uh, Jesus, give me like five more minutes of like intense going at it with scripture, okay? And then, dude, I am really praying that the Holy Spirit meets us tonight. I, I am really believing that for some of you. Tonight is going to be the night you are filled with the Spirit and, and you will know it. Uh, so John 13 to 16, it's, it's actually one of Jesus' last conversations with his disciples. And uh, essentially, it's like one of those moments where he's like, if you forgot everything I said, which would not be far off for the disciples, they're kind of like super spacey at times. If you forget everything I said, remember this. And then he goes on to kind of, to be honest, like a pretty confusing four chapters. I don't know, maybe they got it, maybe they didn't. But Jesus starts by telling his disciples, I gotta go. And they're like, no, no, don't go. And he's like, and where I'm going, you can't go. And Peter very ironically stands up and says, Jesus, I would follow you to death. I will go anywhere, right? And then like that night, he, he disowns him. And so Jesus continues to encourage his disciples. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says this over them, that the one who believes in me will also do the works I do and will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Everyone should be like, what did you just say? Even greater works than you, Jesus? No, not possible. Not, it's possible. It is possible because you were created for great things. Does anyone like think on their own they could do greater things than Jesus? Well, these are his words, not mine, all right? He believes it. And he goes on to tell, this how, tell us how this is going to happen. The next one. 
He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you the counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him or it doesn't see him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And then Jesus reminds them, I will not leave you as orphans. If you ever feel alone in this universe, you're not. Jesus sent his spirit to be with you, and so he reminds us in John 15, not only am I with you, but if you remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. In essence, what Jesus is saying here is, we are utterly helpless, utterly helpless to bear the fruit we are meant to in this world on our own. We will toil, we will exhaust ourselves, we will be burnt out on, on the mission of our lives if we try to do it alone. And many of you hear that and think, yeah, yeah, actually that's exactly where I'm at right now. I'm exhausted, and I'm anxious, and I'm depressed, and I'm sick of doing it alone, and I don't know if I have the strength to do it anymore. But I truly do believe that abiding in Jesus and Him abiding in us is the remedy to our anxious and depressed and exhausted generations. This is getting right back to that Genesis 1 kind of stuff that the Spirit was hovering, it was the same Spirit that was hovering over creation. The same Spirit that dwelt in the tabernacle, the same Spirit that, that empowered Jesus for His ministry can now be in you. Yes. The same spirit. And you are not an orphan or alone in this world, but God is in you and he is with you and you will go on to do even greater things in the kingdom than you could ever imagine. <coughs> and so wrapping up this conversation that he's having with his disciples, two more, two more moments here. He says, this is like scandal right here. He says, it is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. My friend Bert sums it up like this. This is what I think is super scandal. The spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. The spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. So many of us think like, oh, if I could have just walked with Jesus and saw how he actually did things, life wouldn't be so hard. Like, if I could have just been there under his preaching and, and listened to him, it would have made so much more sense of things. And, and I wouldn't struggle so much to know what the heck I'm on this earth to do, or I wouldn't struggle with sin the same way. No! <laughs> Did you read about his disciples in the Gospels? They for sure doubted him. They ran from him after they promised they wouldn't. The same people who saw him heal and raise the dead are the same people who shouted, crucify him. Crucify him. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I go away, the counselor, if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. It is good news that the spirit is in you, that the spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. I like to think of it like this. Sorry if this is heretical for anybody. Jesus equipped us, but the spirit empowers us. Jesus gave us the model and the matrix for how to live in this world. 
but the Spirit makes it possible, and it is possible. And so in his final words, at least in John, you know, 13 to 16, about the Holy Spirit, he says this, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in him. And how beautiful is that? He wants to reveal himself to those who don't know him. About righteousness, because I'm going away to the Father and you will no longer see me. Like, he's not going to be with them anymore. So how, how are we supposed to know how to do Genesis 1 kind of stuff in this world? Because the Spirit will show us. And about judgment, because the ruler of the world has been judged. In essence, the Satan, or the liar, or the accuser, will not have his say, and will not have in this way, his way in this earth, but ultimately, Jesus will. Yeah. That is Jesus' words to his followers about the Holy Spirit. And friends, I know that many of us have grown up in some positive and some negative experiences around the Holy Spirit, or at least the culture of the Holy Spirit. But I do hope today that I've, I've at least been able to help you see how good the Holy Spirit is. That he does not come bringing chaos and confusion, but he comes bringing order and life. That is who the Holy Spirit is. And here's the reality. If we're going to do Genesis 1 stuff in this world, and like all Christians are called to do that, and if we're going to do even greater works than Jesus, his word's not mine, right? And if you're going to live a life that reaches beyond your own strength for his kingdom come, which is his plan for each of us, then you need the Holy Spirit. You need, you need, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you. And maybe all of this just sounds out of your comfort zone. You're like, oh, I don't know, I'm actually really content right now. And, and maybe it does sound out of your comfort zone. I have a couple good news that's coming for you. Good news number one, your comfort zone can change. Jesus can stretch your comfort zone and bring you in place. It will require risk, it will require faith, but your comfort zone can change. And you may feel like, yeah, but I don't have the gifts or the personality or the qualifications to live this kind of life. Oh, I have more good news for you. That his strength is made perfect in your weakness. And you may feel like I'm not an evangelist, but God can bring others to faith through you. And you may feel like, not, you may not feel like getting on a plane and, and going to the nations to bring the name of Jesus to people who don't know him, but God can change your heart. You may have a business idea that could bless this city or this world immeasurably, but you don't necessarily feel like a businesswoman or a businessman. Good news is God can move mountains for you. I stand Romer. Preacher man turned real estate extraordinaire right here. And you may have prayed for people to be healed, and you haven't seen it. But you just haven't seen it yet. You just haven't seen it yet. God can use you. And it's not a matter of your qualifications or your personalities or your talents, but you do need to simply abide in him. To leave yourself open, however he wants to fill you with his spirit. It's not all the same for every person. And he will use your gifts and talents, it's just a reality. 
but he will do way more in you than just your gifts and your talents. My friend Josh Harrison, I'm, I'm literally three minutes from being done. He reminded me of this, that the remedy for misuse is not no use, but right use. The remedy for misuse is not no use, but right use. Jesus has offered his Holy Spirit to all of us. And my prayer is that we would not miss out on the full life that he has for us as partners in his mission for this world. And that the world would not miss out on a church that is full of his spirit to bring the kingdom to earth. Like, you were not just saved, friends, to make minor tweaks to a, like, decent life already. You were saved to empower, to be empowered to change the world with God. That's the Christian life right there. In Acts 8, uh, I just want to kind of make a distinction here. In Acts 8, we see John and Peter show up to Samaria. And they get there and they recognize, oh wow, these people have been baptized in Jesus, but they have yet to receive the Holy Spirit. And essentially, what they do is they lay their hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit, and they do, and they go forth in mission. But here's what I want to point out about this. Many of us have been baptized in Jesus. And that was our welcoming, our, our, our repentance, our, our laying down the old self, picking up the new self, and being welcomed into the kingdom of God, where our life now and our eternity forever is secured with Jesus. But there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Our life is not just meant like, to, to get off this earth and go to heaven one day. You are baptized in the Spirit to go do things that are utterly impossible, and I will say this to Nazium, on your own, without the help of the Spirit of God, for His kingdom come, and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe tonight is your night to receive the Holy Spirit in that way. And so I just want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but do you want to live a life outside of your comfort zone? Do you want to live a life, kind of the cliche axiom, you know, it's faith is spelled R-I-S-K? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not in my notes. <laughs> but maybe you're waking up to the reality and I thought you have put something in me that I want to bless the world. So I want to read one more scripture, Luke 11. Jesus says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Dana, you can come get ready to lead us in worship. I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to ask you to be bold. What I want to do tonight is give you the opportunity to step outside of your comfort zone and partner with the Holy Spirit for great things. I want to just give you that opportunity in the safety of family and church and friendship and accountability. What happens at Genesis stays at Genesis, at least for now, until you all go change the world, okay? But if you're feeling a burning in your heart right now that the Lord does have plans for me in this world that are beyond what I could do on my own, I actually want to ask you to proclaim it out loud together. If you feel like the Lord has, has put it on your heart to just see a move of God in your workplace, I just want you to proclaim it, to see Him move in my work. If it's on your heart to see your family start walking with Jesus, I just want to see my mom know Jesus. 
or if you feel the nations on your heart, or the poor and the needy on your heart, just the poor and the needy, the nations. But in this moment right now, I just want to give you an opportunity to step outside of your comfort zone. And so my question is, who's first? Just say it out loud. What has the Spirit empowered you to do on this earth? None of this is possible without the power of the Holy Spirit, but it is necessary as we live the Christian life. So we're just going to respond in some worship together. And I texted a couple of you guys about praying for some people today. So if you want to come up, we'll have some over here and some up front right here. And if, if you spoke something out and you just feel like, I want that, but I'm just not living in that yet, come and let them pray for you. You guys can come up now. Um, let them pray for you to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. Joe is saying there will be a group right here. Joe is the guy in all white. And uh, not Jesus, as some dreams would interpret. Um, but if you just think, man, I want that in my life. I want to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing like more spiritual about these people. Haley's right there, Joe's there, the Pierces are there, the Romers are there. Just come up and receive prayer. Where are you at, Lily? You want to come pray for some people? I see you living this all the time. Half of our church is here because of you. <laughs> But as we worship, I just want to invite you to come be prayed for them, to be filled with the Spirit, to do what is utterly impossible on your own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So stand together. God, we love you so much. We love you so, 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 so much. And all of us, I my first, and, this, and I myself am the first to repent that there are areas of my life that would be thriving if your 
Holy Spirit was not here to empower me. There are areas of my life that would not look a smidgen different without you. And Lord, I repent of that. Come clear out that area and make it your temple, Lord. Empower us to do what is utterly impossible on our own for the sake of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe that there is a day where everybody will bow to the name of Jesus. Every tongue will confess the name of Jesus. And Lord, we know you're going to do it, but Lord, we want to be your power, your, your partners in that. So come, Holy Spirit. That's our prayer tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for that baptism that doesn't just make us a citizen of the kingdom, but a steward and a partner in the kingdom. Come, Holy Spirit. It is good that you are here. It is good that you are here.